0: You are listening to the weekend message of Crossroads Church, North Campus. Crossroads exists to make much of Jesus, and we do this by following in the way of Jesus and making disciples who love God and love others. To find out more about Crossroads, go to CrossroadsLive.com. Thanks for listening. Grace and peace.
1: Good morning. We're actually still in Luke chapter 7. So Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50 in the English Standard Version. A sinful woman forgiven, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. "'and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. "'Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, "'he said to himself, "'If this man were a prophet, "'he would have known who and what sort of woman this is "'who is touching him, for she's a sinner. "'And Jesus answering said to him, "'Simon, I have something to say to you. "'And he answered, "'Say it, teacher.' A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. loves little and he said to her your sins are forgiven then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves who is this who even forgives sins and he said to the woman your faith has saved you go in peace you may be seated
0: thank you good morning everybody andrew's gone so you have me um he's he's able to uh speak at the church that he grew up in and served at for many years so he's there this morning which is awesome. And so we have me and Care Paravel from Narnia here to go through the scriptures together. So it's awesome. I'm going to start this morning by um just asking if you've ever been in a scenario where someone was celebrating a win uh, or a victory, but everyone else was like quiet or not in that context. Maybe someone was on their phone in a quiet room and all of a sudden, someone's like, yes! Happens a lot during the World Cup maybe. And everyone kind of looks and is like, what is going on with that person? Um, sometimes uh, it's, it's things like when I'm, a, I work from the house, I work for a software company. And sometimes people come into my room while I'm on Zoom meetings and declare things like, I pooped in the potty." You know, and there's a group of people thinking, wow, that's too much information. And I'm not sure why there's so much emotion around that particular act, which we all do all the time. Um, Sometimes it's someone in my house that um, is obviously not ready for the day and walks by with like a laundry bin like this. And all of a sudden that boundary between work and life is broken. And everyone on the call is like trying not to look. And, you know, it's just kind of this awkward moment. Uh, And I'm like, ah, it's fine, you know, it's my family, welcome, you know. Um, Other times, we're party to some raw or some not-so-nice moments, Uh, like uh, I was at a gas station filling my tank up, and there was a car on the other side, and there was a, a younger couple in there having a fight of all fights, and I was hearing things about their lives and their relationships that I wish I didn't hear. And they were—it was at the intensity level. They were no longer aware of their surroundings, right? And I'm like, please, trying to get my gas tank filled, you know, please fill, because I don't want to be. It's very awkward, right? Uh, because it's there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of emotion. Um, and maybe am uh, closer to home, a little a little more tough. Is my sister lost her 13-year-old daughter a couple months ago, tragically? And. Um, yeah, we've been working through that as an, as an extended family, and but something that was, you know, when we spent time together, she's processing, she's grieving, and and you know we're at lunch, and just different things trigger her. We're at Mexican food, and it's like a normal scene, and then but there's like an empty chair at the table that we sat down at, and all of a sudden she just bursts into tears, and weeps all over her burrito, right? And if for the people that are aware of what's going on, for our family at that table, it is. Entirely appropriate, and everyone knows why she's crying and why we start to cry with her, and it's this whole moment that, um, in the context, totally makes sense. And the and we cry, and the moment passes, and we finish our burritos. Um, But if you're in the restaurant, all of a sudden it's like, what is happening at that table? Like these people probably shouldn't be out in public, right? And there's all these judgments and, you know, the whole, you can feel the whole place looking at you like, oh my gosh, but they don't understand what's really happening. And today we find ourselves in a moment like that at what's, what's ordinarily just a dinner. And all of a sudden there's one of these moments where there's this kind of emotion and this awkwardness and this thing that's happening and there's reactions throughout the room. And I think it's an interesting thing for us to look at this morning, and because there's actually two, two different people we can consider ourselves aligned with. One is the woman who comes into this scene, and one is Simon the Pharisee who reacts to the situation. So as we get into it, uh, maybe spend some time praying and thinking about where God might be speaking to you about the roles that you may put yourself in. What's strange to me is that as I got into this, I realized that this moment of there's actually three times when a woman uh, came to Jesus and did this exact thing. Uh, for some reason, that I, I sort of merged them all into one, into Mary Magdalene doing this. Um, but it happened three times based on my studies. There's a, there's a passage in John describing a different situation at Lazarus' house and Mary and Martha where Mary bends down there in Bethany and does the same thing. There's a passage in Matthew, a parallel passage in Mark, uh, an unnamed woman Uh, a few days before Passover in another house in Bethany. Um, And this passage in Luke describes a scene early in Jesus' ministry, sometime after he chose the 12 disciples in Simon the Pharisee's house somewhere near Galilee. And I don't know, that just, that struck me. I was like, I didn't realize this happened to him three times. And Spurgeon says, Charles Spurgeon says, "It It ought not to astonish you that there were three persons whose intense affection thus displayed itself. The astonishment should rather be that there were not 200 or 300 that did so. For the anointing of the feet of an honored friend, loved as Jesus deserved to be. The marvel is that he was not oftener, add that to your vocab, oftener visited with these generous tokens of human love. So let's get into it and see what God might say to us. Father, we come to your word this morning like we do many Sunday mornings. Um, But we know that as we come with expectation... You meet us. So I pray that you would raise our expectations and that we would see in these scriptures uh, the people involved. And that you would begin to speak to us about the things that resonate with where our life is at today. The things going on this week and this month. And God, that we would allow you to speak to us. That we would allow you to change us and meet us where we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees asked... Him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisees' house and reclined at table. How does Jesus feel about Pharisees? Not so great, right? Back in chapter 5, there was already a moment where he kind of discussed some things with the Pharisees and called them some things. Later in Luke, in verse 11, it says, And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And yet here's this moment where this Pharisee invites him to his house. But if you've been with us as we've been walking through this book, there's been all kinds of interesting people that come up to Jesus and try to get involved, whether it's a Roman soldier or someone with leprosy or all these kind of folks from all different walks of life. And and this person is no different but why did he go? He got this invite from this person. And perhaps it was because he was Jesus and it was a prophetic moment where he saw that if he went there, there would be this thing that happened that would get written down in the word of God for all generations to learn from. Maybe he had a sense of that. But when he came down into a human body, he was limited more too. And he often just listened to the father and did what the father asked him to do. And so maybe he just decided, well, I'm just going to, I don't like this guy. I'm not sure what his motives are. I got this dinner. I'm going to go and just make myself available to whatever God might want to do. I think it was probably both. Probably an inclination from the Holy Spirit that there was something going to happen. But something to learn from when someone invites you to dinner, or invites you to hang out, that you don't necessarily enjoy hanging out or you're not sure what their motives are. Maybe there should be more moments like this where we say, you know what, God, I don't, I'm reacting personally to this person, but maybe I should just go and put myself in the situation and see what you might do. Verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed the feet kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman is touching him, for she's a sinner. So the, the woman of the city is just a different way of saying she's a prostitute. Uh, her job is out there doing the things. Um, so, and, and she's a sinner. It wasn't like she was one of the upstanding citizens who was trying to pretend she was good. She was like, you know, I'm all out there. Everybody knows it. This is my life. Deal with it. She was a a sinner, sinner in that sense. It says she was standing behind him at his feet. And that might sound strange if you're used to the tables that we eat at. It wasn't as though she was crawling under the tables, okay? If anybody's been to a Seder dinner? Okay, cool, yeah. So if you're not aware of this, it's like the scene is low tables. And kind of a U-shape where everyone comes and they recline, they move their, their feet back, and they kind of sit on their elbow and lay on these cushions around the table and kind of eat off of the table. So everyone's feet are away. And so if you were to come up to the table, the first thing you'd hit is everyone's feet. So that's the scene, and that's why it says she was standing behind him at his feet. It says she was weeping, and she was kissing his feet, and she was kind of down on the floor. And based on who she was, you know... I just want to clarify. She's not trying to seduce him in some interesting way at this dinner. Her heart is broken. Her life has gotten to this place where things are 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 changing, and she's understanding her sin, and she's coming to this place of true and deep repentance. So deep was her repentance, and the hope that she had, and the faith that she had in, in Jesus, that she didn't care who was around. So many times we are trying to manage perceptions of ourselves. We go into situations like, okay, I don't want to look too dumb. I don't want to look too eager. I don't want to look too whatever. She's in that place where she's like, you know what? Throw all that out the window. I have experienced such sin and such forgiveness and such love. I am I am just diving into this moment completely. And those feet, man, she's not kissing clean shoes. You know, like the shoes that you see in like the and Mall when you go there. I had to go there recently. Pray for me. It was tough. It was tough. <laughs> we're not talking America where it's like you don't hardly even touch the dirt, right? If you, you, we're talking about feet that walk around in the dirt and there's animals and there's open sewage in some cases. There's all kinds of things going on, right? It reminds me when I was in my late teens and 20s, I wore Birkenstocks when they weren't cool, folks, okay? I even had a heel strap, which took it to a whole nother level. <laughs> like Jesus, I might say. But um, at the end of a long summer day of fun in chico, those had some funk to them. Okay, they did. They were nasty, and that's why I started wearing socks with them, which took it even. <laughs> I digress. The point is, the feet were nasty. Okay, they were unwashed. And her act of, of service and love was to bend down there and get her face right near those feet. And considering who she was, and kind of, it was an amazing moment. It displays humility, taking herself low to the lowest position possible, and she honors him by serving him in the, in the most meager way possible. And she didn't even put water on his feet, which is like, you know, maybe invaluable in a way, but she actually used water from her own tear glands. And she actually used this amazingly expensive perfume to do that, to honor him in that way for such a lowly job. It was an act of worship. That's what it was. It was an act of worship that, that filled that place with a whole different fragrance. Simon's over there. Awkward moment. If this man were a prophet, he says, He's already judging. He's already looking at Jesus as too small, as a prophet. He doesn't even see what Jesus is saying about himself, which is, I'm much more than just a prophet. But he, he's getting real judgy. And he said, if this guy would even know. My question to me, was like, how does he know who she is? And why can she just walk right into his house? Interesting, Simon. <laughs> so I studied that a little bit, and it's not like that, actually. What happens is... What happens is when, she, when a big rabbi comes to a nice dinner and they all sit down, if there's going to be re- great conversation and teaching, what happens is the, the community can kind of come and stand around and listen. They can't participate in the meal, but people are invited to come here because it's like a lot of leaders and, and spiritual teachers talking. And so there's a, normally a crowd for a meal like this. Not a huge crowd, but people from the community, good, upstanding citizens. But she was there. She didn't even deserve to be there, probably, but she was there. And much more than that, she stepped forward to the table. You can think of how inappropriate this situation might have seemed. How inappropriate that she would not only join the crowd, but she would cross that line, come to the table, get down and start touching Jesus' feet and weeping. How scandalous. All he can think of how, how inappropriate it is, But it reminds me how our response to sin sometimes as churchy people is to create distance and judgment and create this chasm between the people that should be able to come here and the people that probably shouldn't. Forget that she's weeping openly. Forget that she's making her hair filthy. Forget that she's let it down, which is another scandalous thing, because you don't let down your hair in that culture unless you're just alone with your husband. It's your your glory. And she lets it down and gets it filthy on this guy's feet, Jesus' feet, wasting all that costly ointment. And he's thinking in his heart. He says to himself, if this man were a prophet. Verse 40, and Jesus answering... I love this. Jesus was answering an internal thought. Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. I want to stop here and take note. Jesus can hear what you say to yourself. I'm going to say it again, real slow. It's hit me hard. Jesus can hear what you say to yourself. Your inner dialogue is something he knows about intimately. All of your reactions, your judgments, the things you say, the things you think, the things you imagine. Envy and pride and judgment and lust and all the other things. He knows and he hears all of that. If you're willing to listen, he'll speak to you. Because I can guarantee that if you're like me, there's things that you said to yourself that the Lord immediately said, I have something to say to you about that. And if you're willing to hear and listen, he will speak to you. And I don't know if Simon was like, I have something to say to you, Simon. He's like, okay, here we go. I'm about to get trapped by one of Jesus' stories. Say it to me, whatever. It's like one of my my kids knows they're about to get a lecture. I have something to say to you. Okay. I don't know if it was that tone or if his heart was like, say it to me. I'm, I'm here. I'm listening. May we be people who, when we hear that from God, say, say it to me, teacher. I'm here for it. Sometimes we just get so used to ourselves, you guys, so good at filtering and hiding what's inside and, and, and closing it off from it presenting all this normal interactions like we're awesome, good people and all that, but inside there's all this stuff going on. We get so used to ourselves, I call it we're just cooking in our own soup, you know? That's why I don't like baths. Let me just lay back and relax in my own filth. It's, it's great. Some of you are like, "Well, I shower beforehand." Well, then you're done. Like, what are you wasting the water for? So, also hot tubs. Okay, so, what about when you have bo, and you kind of have this feeling like, "I think I might smell a little bit," but you're kind of used to it and it doesn't bother you that much. And then someone walks up to you, like, they're like, "Whoa, bro," you know what I'm saying? We get used to ourselves. We get used to our own sin. We've accepted an internal dialogue that is not from God. Sin is disgusting, it's a stench in God's nostrils. He says, I have something to say to you. What's your response? Say it, teacher. Are you willing to be taught? Are you willing to be confronted by God? Will you allow him to come into the things that you've sort of accepted in that way? When your perspective is wrong, when your perception of someone is wrong? He says, I have something I need to say to you. He says in verse 41, a certain moneylender has two debtors, had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Interesting question came up in my own mind. Are some sins worse than others? I think so. I think there's some things that we can do and blasphemy and open rebellion and, and sins that we can do that have such a blast radius that they affect so many different kinds of people. Uh, But my question is this, whether our sin is large or small, how much of it can we take care of on our own? Zero. Everybody owes a debt that we cannot pay. And see, what Jesus is getting into here is perception. How we perceive ourselves and our own sinfulness and how we perceive other people and their sinfulness Because I can tell you that for someone, 500 denarii is a drop in the bucket. I could drop any amount of money right now, and and half of you would react like, ah, it's not much money, and half of you would be like, that's a lot of money. So no matter where you find yourself, it's a matter of Jesus is delving into your perception of yourself and of others. John Owen, a theologian, a Puritan, said, he who has slight thoughts of sin never has great thoughts of God. In Luke 5, Jesus said this, and the Pharisees and, and the scribes grumbled at the disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Is he saying, "Ah, oh, you Pharisees, I get it. You're pretty much there. You don't really need me. Is that what he's saying? No, he's saying, I'm here for people who understand their need. I'm not sick. I'm not going to the doctor. Yes, you are, honey. This has happened to me before. The difference here is that our perception, our comparisons, and the need or lack of need that we feel for Jesus, that's what he's getting at. And if we get to the place where we got this stuff going on in our lives that we sort of are used to now, and we sort of minimize that, that also means that, how, that we value what Jesus did to cover that sin in a much lower way, right? Like, oh, I needed a little help. I needed a hand up in a difficult time. I was in this moment, and so I needed your help, and thank you for your help. And so, So Jesus and his sacrifice and his death on the cross and his victory over sin and death only has this much value in our minds. But if we get back to the place where this woman was, which was, my sin is disgusting and it's a mountain of it and I have so much profound guilt and shame and Jesus' sacrifice also met me there and covered it all. Then we start to think About Jesus and relate to Jesus like she was with love and with worship. God help us when we've minimized sin and in so doing minimize Jesus at the same time. It's not just that we need Jesus, but we should love Him. Jesus didn't say in His story, like, and which one of these people would have been more grateful? He didn't say, and which one of these people would have been more relieved? He said, which one of these people would have loved more? Loved more. The goal is not to appreciate Jesus, to respect Jesus, to view him as a good inspirational teacher, to look at him as an interesting addition to our lives or our dinner party, but to love him. And to worship Him as the Son of God. One of the things we do at work is, because we're all remote, we go meet up at different places every three months just to remember that we're real human beings. It's pretty nice. But we went to Boston this last time, and... um, there was this exercise my team was doing where they were, just getting, we we're just kind of getting to know each other more on a different level. And one of the things, five things that you love, five places that you've lived, five, and everyone kind of filled it out and we talked about it, right? And I made a, a conscious decision to put number one at work, the thing that I love being Jesus. And that's a risk. It's a risk to perceptions and my role at work and, and I'm a leader there and all these things. But I, I wanted to say that. I, because, and that might hit them weird because I'm not just subscribing to a belief system. I'm not part of a social club. I'm not a, just a, adhering to a set of rules. I love, I love Jesus. And that's what I wanted to say. And I think that's the important distinction that we have to make in, when we, in our relationship to our faith and in our relationship to our community. Maybe you've come face to face with the darkness of your own sin and wept over it and had it taken off of your shoulders and felt so clean, <clears throat> excuse me, and your heart so full of love and worship for Jesus that like this woman in this story, you didn't care what people thought or what they were going to say or what might happen to your job or what happened to your friendships or what this person in the restaurant might think or whatever. Maybe you get to the place. Anybody ever been there? I have. I don't care anymore. I love Jesus. I worship him. He's forgiven me. Even if it's a bit over the top sometimes, even if it gets a little emotional and creates an awkward situation, what's Jesus' response to that? Is he shushing this lady? No. Because he can see what's going on. Love and worship is the proper way to relate to Jesus. Jesus. Many people recognize the Apostle Paul as a pretty significant person in our in our you know faith history. And in the first century church, in the New Testament church, and the New Testament scriptures, he he played a pivotal role. <clears throat> and the level of sacrifice and pain and difficulty he went through to play this role was significant, right? Hardships, shipwrecks, being beaten, being, you know, all imprisoned, this whole thing he's been through. What was his motivation? Do you think he was motivated out of guilt? I don't. I think Paul was motivated out of love and out of worship. In 1 Timothy 1, he writes this to Timothy, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Paul loved and worshipped Jesus because he recognized how much of a sinner he was, I mean the guy is responsible for like going around actually commanding Christians to be killed. Right? It doesn't, that's a pretty serious situation that's a, thing, that's, a, that's a sinner. and he says, "I am the most." but because he understands that, he also understands what Jesus did for him and met. In him and forgave in him. And his response, you guys, again, it wasn't like this hat tip, like, appreciate you, sir. It wasn't like he helped you round up some cattle that got out and helped you mend the fence. Appreciate that. No, he was transformed. He had a mountain of sin and guilt and shame lifted off of him, taken, completely accounted for and erased, and it changed his life forever and set him on a whole new trajectory that he walked in with God himself as a friend. And he related to Jesus with love and worship. And he didn't care who knew it. Verse 44. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. I need to explain a few things about this because it might f- seem a little weird. Because if you went over to someone ho- someone's house for dinner and they greeted you and said, Would you like some water for your feet? You might be a little offended. Your feet are nasty. Or guys, if you invited a friend over and it's like 15 minutes into the visit, and he's kind of acting offended, and you're like, what's going on, bro? He's like, I've been here 15 minutes, you haven't kissed me, man. That's, that's not how we do stuff. I, I don't think. And if you, But if I showed up at your house, you're like, welcome, thank you, and I and dumped some oil on my head, you know, I'd be like, what? But these are very appropriate, my point is this, these are very appropriate things for them to do, and especially for Simon as the host to honor a guest because of the feet situation, they clean the feet as they come in so they can have a meal without that. They kiss each other. And, and think of this like a good Italian family. Any Italians in here? Yeah? A few? Amen! And they all kiss each other and like, so good to see you. Or, or like a French culture where they, they do the kiss thing. You know, It's like that. It's like it's an honoring thing to do. It's like, almost like Simon was in his recliner watching TV and Jesus came. He's like, oh, thank goodness you're here. I'm starving. Let's go eat. It's like this dishonoring thing. And he's calling him out on it. He says, Do you see this woman? At this point, Jesus is talking. There's this awkward situation happening. And he's speaking to the host of the room. The entire place is probably silent and just watching this whole thing already. And he still says, Do you see this woman? What's he saying to him? Do you have any idea what's going on? Do you perceive anything real here? He's saying, do you see her as I see her? Or are you just sitting high on your little judgment seat? Do you see what's happening here? Profound forgiveness. This woman's life is being transformed in front of us. The trajectory of her life is going straight from death into life right here in front of you. Do you see her? Do you see the contrast between her and you? That's what he's saying. Do you see her? 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? See, he crossed a line too. This woman crossed a line, creates some scandal. He crossed a line too, which is that I forgive sins. And everyone in the room only believes that God has the authority to forgive sins. And so everyone's perception of Jesus as a good teacher or a prophet all of a sudden is being challenged because he's saying to them by saying that, I'm God. But he's speaking to her in this context. It says it's not her act at dinner that saved her. It's her faith in the Son of God. Her love is evidence. Her worship is evidence of the forgiveness that she's already received. And which he says to Simon her sins are forgiven. It's done. She's clean. The person You're only seeing her as she was, but I see her as she's going to be. God, help us to see people that we know like that. Help us to see our spouse who we know so well. Not for what they, who they've been up to this point, but who they're going to be when God works in their hearts. Then he turns to her. I think this is interesting. He says to the whole room, her sins are forgiven. You guys need to change your perception of this woman from here on out. But then he looks right at her also, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine that moment when her and Jesus lock eyes, and he looks right into her soul, and he says, your sins are forgiven. We can talk about all this, guys. We can do church and we can talk about Jesus and we can, his forgiveness. But, man, there's nothing like when you hear in your own heart from the Lord himself that you personally and the things that you've been through, the stuff that's happened in your life, the decisions you've made, when he comes to you and he looks you in the eyes, metaphorically, and he says, your sins are forgiven. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like hearing and sensing from Jesus that we are forgiven. And it's not just an intellectual awareness. Sometimes it's an incredibly emotional experience. There have been times when I've gone through things and asked for forgiveness and repentance that I've cried. I've cried over it. I cry a lot more these days than I used to, but maybe it's just... Any other guys, as you get older, you just cry more? I don't know. I'm alone. Great. Okay. Um, it's not just an intellectual awareness that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the experience of God's forgiveness, where you feel the weight come off, where you feel the, the cleansing come. And that's okay. But it's sometimes messy. Like I said before, clearly Jesus isn't there shushing you like, knock that off. What are you doing? He's letting the moment unfold. In the same way that I'm sitting at a, a table in a Mexican restaurant and my sister's crying her eyes out, I'm not saying, stop that. No, it's part of what's happening. It's the reality of things. And sometimes when we get to this place where we meet Jesus and he takes the weight off and cleanses us, it's an incredibly emotional experience. And that is okay. And God help us, churchy people, if we sit around judging people who aren't put together or are feeling upset or weeping or crying or going through whatever it is, God help us to see them and what's going on It's just instead of just trying to conform to the normal way we do things around here. And he said to the woman, your faith is has saved you. Go in peace. What has saved her? Faith. Did she work off her sin? Oh, now that you wash Jesus' feet, like that's the ticket. Now you're in. No. What saved her is the realization, unlike a lot of the people in that room, that Jesus is the Savior. That he's the Messiah. That he's the Son of God. Her faith in him, is what changed things for her. Faith in whom? Faith in Jesus himself. And he tells her to go, as if to say, okay, that's enough. (laughs) We did it. We're good. You're fine. We don't need to belabor it. You're forgiven. Go in peace. What an amazing moment. What do we do with this story? As I said as I opened up, I think we we need to place ourselves in it. And we need to relate to the people in this story and allow God to speak to us from His Word. Like I said, if there are some of us who've experienced profound renewal and redemption from a life of sin and difficult things and darkness and shame, and we've gone through that. And grieved and cried and taken it all off our shoulders and our hearts have become so full of love and worship. Can I get an amen from somebody? Okay. But I want to I I talk to two people in the room. Not individuals, but groups. There are some of us who have come this morning or online who view ourselves as too great of sinners. Sinners. Like you hear these things and you think about them and you really want to believe that you're forgiven and that you're trying, but deep down in your heart, what you really actually feel and believe is that you're not forgiven. You're someone maybe who even comes into a room like this or it just stays online because you don't feel like you're one of the people that could, should come to church, like you don't fit here because of all this stuff that's happened. And maybe you just come in, and the most you can do is slip into the back row because that's all your shame will allow you to do. Staying back for fear of rejection, that if you were to come to Jesus, that he would, that he would say no. That is a lie. If you are in that spot, in that mindset, in that place this morning, it's not real. I hope you're feeling that and seeing that in the scripture. No one is beyond forgiveness. There is no set of things that have happened to you or decisions you've made that have taken you to a place where you cannot be completely forgiven and washed clean. hear the words from the scriptures as I say them to you if you're in that spot. Jesus looks right at you this morning and says your sins are forgiven. All of them. Your sins are forgiven. Let go of the lie that that's not you. That he wouldn't accept you. That you're too far gone. In a moment, I'm going to just ask if you'd be willing to stand and create your own awkward moment and say, it's me, and I want to receive, I want to return from my life of sin, and I want to receive that same forgiveness. And the second person I want to just highlight here is the, is the Simons in the room. And I tell you, if I wasn't up here speaking this morning, I would be standing up for this one because God spoke to me about it said i had some things i need to say to you i was like that's it that's the last sermon i'm prepping for because i don't want you talking like me to this like me anymore (laughs) i'm telling you if it was me i'd be standing for this one but basically what i'm saying is you've been religious for so long you've an idea is emerging in your heart like i'm pretty i'm pretty okay i'm i'm good actually And the sin that you have in your life right now is is being minimized. And in so doing, you're also minimizing Jesus and you're relating to him in this very um, transitory sort of way. You've allowed an internal dialogue, allowed thoughts and imaginations and sin to come in and just stay with you because you're used to it now. And God is saying to you this morning, I have something to say to you. Would you be someone who is willing to say, Speak to me. I'm willing to be taught. I'm willing to be confronted. I'm willing to be changed. And allow Him to wake us up from the stupor that is our own soup and say, It's disgusting. And I died for it. And begin to elevate Him in our own lives internally so that our outside is starting to match our inside and we're not like Simon. He's confronting me about just like anger and frustration and the way that plays out inside my own mind. That's the thing I'm working on right now. So I want to invite those two groups of people. If you're one of those two and you're like, man, I just, I don't want to stay back. I want to come to Jesus. Um, Just go ahead and stand where you're at and I'm going to pray for you. Jesus says, as each one of us have come and stood before you. I pray that you would come and speak and meet with them. That you would let them know that you have not let go of them. You have not forgotten them. They are not too far gone. That they are not in a place where you can't meet and touch them. And just as you're standing there, let me just speak to you as your eyes are closed. Uh, Let go of your pretending. Uh, Let go of trying to shape perceptions of who God thinks you are. He knows everything, all of it. You don't need to hide. You don't need to shape it. Yes, bring your sin to him. It is is sin, it is dark, it is disgusting. And yet, bring it to him as you are because he accepts you. He accepts you not because of what you haven't done, not because of all the good things he's done. He accepts you because of what he has done. This begins with his love for you and his sacrifice for you. It's not dependent on you. So just come with the things that are in your mind and your heart that you can't, that you've been carrying, and give them to him. And Lord, I pray for those who feel like they are too far gone, that they are not worth forgiving, that, there is, that they don't have a place here, that they can't come to you. I pray that you, that you would meet them right now. And you look them in the eyes and their heart and say, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Not someone else, you. You. Accept his his forgiveness. Let it wash over you. Accept it. It's true. He's taking it off you right now in Jesus' name. He's washing you clean. He's giving you new clothes to wear. He's transferring you from the domain of darkness into the domain of light. He's adopting you as his own. He's giving you a hope in the future. Allow his love to, to fill you now and give you hope in spite of what is past. To change the trajectory of your life. Thank you, Lord. And I pray for the Simons, us Simons. Forgive us for the things that we've allowed in our own minds and our own hearts. Forgive us for reducing you. Allow us to be confronted and to change and to live a life on the outside as good as it is on the inside. Help us to see people like you see them, not to stand in judgment. Cause us to be pure and washed out and washed clean. Thank you, Lord. Help us to relate to you with love and worship as you deserve our Lord and Savior. Everybody said? Amen. Man, that one got me. Whew. A parting thought for you out of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Yes? Yes? I'll leave you with the words Jesus gave. Your sins are forgiveness, forgiven. Go in peace. Have an awesome week, all right?